The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Terratech with Jim Lane. Terratech is all about the products and companies that are using substantial materials that are changing the way we dress, eat, drink, shop, and live. We are becoming a more bioeconomic society and are more aware of the products in our lives. Now, here's your host, Jim Lane. Welcome to Terratech. I'm your host, Jim Lane, for the next 60 minutes as we explore the quest for a sustainable, affordable, renewable clear plastic bottle and related things that you can make with the technologies that lead to that. 3.1 million tons, that's 6 billion pounds. That's the amount of plastic that's used just here in North America to make these clear plastic bottles that we know and love. All of them uh, are currently being made from petroleum. That's starting to change. All of that is adding to the demand for foreign oil, putting pressure on our skies. Making the molecule in question, PET, has become one of the biggest industrial businesses around, but customers have been demanding more sustainable packaging from brands like Coke, Pepsi, and Suntory. And in turn, those companies have been investing and partnering with hot technology companies. Suntory recently revealed that it's a primary investor in a fast-growing company based near New York City, it's at the forefront of the materials revolution. That company is Anelitech, and joining me this morning as we explore the quest for the clear plastic bottle and beyond is Dave David Sadulski, the CEO of Anelitech. Good morning, Dave. Thanks for joining us on Terratech. Uh, good morning, Jim, and it's a pleasure to be here and have the opportunity to discuss the uh, challenge of providing clear uh, PET uh, beverage bottles that have a better sustainability profile and I can look forward to talking to you about Analytech's approach to developing and commercializing process technology to do just that. Tell us a little bit about the company just to get us started. Where where are you? I mentioned yeah, somewhere Analytech, near New York Analytech, City, but specifically, located, uh, you know, how, how big is it? Blah, blah. Oh, sure. Great. Yeah, Analytech, we're located about uh, 30 miles northwest of New York City on an R&D campus that's owned by Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. And uh, in addition to our R&D and labs here, in New York State, we also have just uh, completed construction and are now commissioning a seven-story tall uh, pilot R&D facility that's in East Texas in Silsby, uh, which we're in the process of, of commissioning right now. Uh, and that's purpose is to get us the design data to build a first commercial plant, which we're targeting at the, uh, at the end of the decade. So it's a really exciting time for Analtech. So we've been hearing about this clear plant bottle for a long time. It's been it's been coming. It's been coming. Uh, the the original iteration of it, we we've heard about a thirty percent replacement. So when you go and buy a plant bottle today, you you hear you know thirty percent renewable content. Why why thirty percent? What's the what's the deal there? Why is that the magic number? Uh, sure. Um, when you're making a PET, there's two major uh, ingredients or molecules that are reacted to make that. One is paraxylene, uh, which a Nelotex process would make. And, you know, doing rule of thumb calculation, that's about 70% of the weight of PET. Uh, the balance is monoethylene glycol, uh, which can be made from uh, sugarcane ethanol into, uh, into this product, and that's about 30% of the weight. So, um, there's plenty of sugarcane ethanol available, and it can be converted uh, into monoethylene glycol. There's a company in um, India and Taiwan that do that, and so that's already on the market and available at scale. The challenge has been is to make the, the bio-sourced paraxylene. Uh, this is a, an aromatic compound, and people have uh, tried to do that for a while, and there's two, two challenges, but it, it, at the end of the day, it comes down to having a viable scalable technology, and also being able to do it at a reasonable cost. And so part of the cost challenge is uh, what kind of feedstock are you using and what kind of process are you using? And up to this point, others have tried using sugar as feedstock, 
you know, which is a much higher price point. And Nellitech is focused on a technology to convert non-food biomass like wood or agricultural residues into aromatics, including parazylene. And so we can offer that the low-cost profile that's needed to have a globally adoptable and scalable technology. What's been what's been different about about today? Is it is it all being driven in terms of these new technologies coming forward? Is it all being driven by uh, sustainable demand coming from consumers, and then and then companies like Coke and Pepsi pushing forward, um, or is this a technology wave that that partly has been uh, uh, is coming to the market now because of of new advances? What's what's new uh, in the from a technical point of view in the field? Yeah, well, you know where where Analtech comes in is we are. Uh, you know, a company that's solely funded by strategic investors. And on the technology side, these are companies like Johnson Matthey and IFP Energy Nouvelle and Axons, uh, the French R&D process technology development and commercialization powerhouse. And on the commercial side, uh, Suntory and Toyota Susho. And in fact, Suntory, you, know, you ask what's new today, well, Suntory's been supporting Analytic since 2012. And it's part of the reason is they saw our technology um, as a pathway to the most cost-competitive approach to making uh, the bioparazyline that they need to have a 100% bio bottle. So Suntory is one of the companies that's already marketing this 30% um, uh, bio bottle made from bio uh, MEG. And um, the reason for that is Suntory is, I think, for the last five years, been the number one ranked sustainability company in Japan. And so it's a whole part of their corporate ethos, um, you know, in harmony with people and nature. So that's what's driven uh, their interest in Naltech, and that's, you know, sustaining and continuing on. And in fact, in September, we put out a press release uh, announcing the start of commissioning of our unit in Texas, um, as well as a a small um, equity funding. And you can see a photo of the Suntory senior executives uh, joining us at at that you know, significant event, and uh, those are the same folks that have been with us for four years. What did you like about building a a, a project down in Texas? What what attracted you to that that particular market? Was it because of the feedstock availability? Were there other factors? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, in in general, an Eltex philosophy has been, um, you know, to commercialize the significant innovation that we have with the. You know, the core technology of converting biomass into aromatics in a using non-food biomass in a one-reactor process, um, but we've also recognized that the development of process technology is not a brand new industry that's been invented. You know, in the last ten years, it's gone on for decades, and so we've partnered with Ifpin and Axens uh, to help us with the process development in a joint manner. So right now, at, at our plant in Texas, we've got three. You know, very senior technical experts from um, Axons on site for the next couple of years. And similarly, on the catalyst, you know, we've got smart catalyst scientists here, but by teaming with Johnson Matthey, uh, we get their expertise in catalyst formulation, manufacturing and development, and then commercialization. Similarly, uh, from operating a pilot uh, unit, you know, we felt that if we put the unit on the site of an existing chemical plant, uh, we can leverage a lot of that operational expertise, um, you know, to further advance our development quickly and efficiently. So instead of, you know, us having to, you know, hire and train, you know, four shifts of operators to do a 24-7 operation, we can leverage the existing staff uh, on the side of our partner, which is uh, Southampton Resources. So it was more the factor of using, putting, putting our plant on a site that's ideally suited for the type of uh, R&D program that we're doing and leveraging existing resources and expertise so that our engineers and our catalyst experts from Analitech, IFP, and Johnson Matthey can focus on you know, the critical development aspects, knowing that we've got solid operational expertise coming from our site partner there in Texas. So it, it, this is a multinational effort. It's, you've, you've mentioned uh, French expertise. You've got a, a partner. You've got partners back in, in Asia. So yes. what attracted you to, to founding the company in in beautiful New York City metro? Uh, well, it's, you know, part of it is just, you know, where, where, I, was living, where I live and where my family is and, um, you know, where our founding uh, technology was. And also, you know, this area, 
from you know New York, uh, uh, New Jersey, Delaware. Um, there's a, lo- a strong history of chemical engineering and catalysis scientists. And so there were really, you know, superb people that we can, you know, hire from to put the, uh, the company down here. And in addition, this, the site where we're at, it's a former Pfizer, it's a Pfizer R&D site. You know, we have beautiful labs and hoods and, uh, you know, all set up and, and ready for us to move in. So we, you know, we saved, uh, you know, a substantial amount of money um, going into almost ready-to-use uh, facilities. Now, this particular product, at the end of the day, you're making a drop-in replacement. The consumer, if I'm if I'm not incorrect, won't really notice, um, except for the packaging might have a label saying, you know, bio-based. From a functional point of view, it, it's exactly the same. Is that correct? Yeah, that is, and that's really important because if you're looking at making a difference in the world and you know, global warming and, and climate change and so on, you need to have something that can be rapidly scaled. And so our approach is, you know, build a first commercial plant with our partners, then broadly license the technology to the point. So maybe in the, in the, in the next decade, in the 2020s, you know, we have licensees that are taking multi-plant licenses with an idea to, to build, to putting out a thousand, a million tons a year of bio-based aromatics. And what that means is, um, since it's drop in, they are, you know, taking these aromatics, put, making known derivatives like PET or ABS um, or polycarbonate or, sty- or the styrenics. And so there's already an existing market that's huge. There's already existing uh, derivative converters, you know, the styrene markets, the PET markets, that's already in place. So you can get that rapid global adoption. There's no market risk for making a bio-PET um, because it's already proven and out there. And you think about customers that are using packaging that have, you know, high-speed packaging line, Jim, where, you know, they're tuned for that particular polymer, um, you know, then packing, you know, millions of units, you know, in an hour and such like that. So everything drops into that, and you enable that rapid global adoption, which can really enable uh, market improvements in, uh, in meeting sustainability and climate change goals. So you can make a lot of things from these uh, BTX molecules. What, um, uh, you know, in terms of the everyday consumer, when you walk down your, your aisle, is it just the packaging that's, uh, that you can make, or are there other things we might see at a, at a Costco or a, at a Home Depot that, that would have a BTX molecule in it? Oh, it's, it's fairly ubiquitous. I mean, there's more than 100 million tons a year of BTX uh, sold in the world today, and it ends up in things like, uh, you know, we mentioned PET in beverage bottles, but PET is also used in clothing. It's the polyester in clothing. Um, and PET is used in films for, you know, packaging things like uh, candy and, you know, Skittles and, and foods. PET is also used uh, in a variety of other um, industrial applications. Derivatives from other aromatics uh, like... Um, uh, the styrenics, well, that's car tires. Styrene butyl rubber is a component there. Uh, there's polystyrene used in packaging. This would now be bio. Uh, polycarbonates used to make eyeglasses. Um, laundry detergent has um, linear alkyl benzene, or linear, um, which is you know, made from benzene. So that's it's, it's fairly ubiquitous. Um, toys, Legos are made from uh, ABS. So that's. Uh, um, Another styrenic that that would be uh, made bio from from our product as well. Now, Lego has announced that they are interested in going bio based and, and looking at alternatives. So, is that uh, potentially, uh, without giving away your discussions, is that the kind of opportunity that you you think about when you're uh, thinking about new strategics and new uh, new applications? You know, it's it's any strategic out there that's got a consumer brand. Um, or, you know, it's concerned about global warming that's looking to uh, reduce their carbon footprint and use a bio label in their marketing. And, um, you know, and, the, and so, you know, Les Lego's an example. There are, you know, there are dozens of others. And if you look at, you know, a product just, just like Lego, I know, Jim, you, you guys wrote an article about it, or a couple articles of the years, and I think I saw that, you know, there's 76 KTA of... Uh, KTA means uh, thousands of tons a year of ABS uh, used, uh, used, bought by Lego. Um, if they converted to our technology, meaning they used bio-based 
uh, aromatics produced from our technology when uh, making that ABS. Uh, it could be the equivalent of avoiding 16 million car miles driven every year. So well, that's a lot of miles. That, it's a lot of miles. <laughs> that, if, that, that, yeah. that changes the equation. Now, yeah. in terms of this, in terms of this feedstock, um, is this is this a? I know you 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 tout that it's non-food biomass, which is good news for for consumers that uh, focus on things like food versus fuel, but. Um, is this a case of using only these dedicated energy crops? So you take out 10 million acres of corn, you put in 10 million acres of something else, or can you use these waste residues, crop residues that are that are lying on the field already? Yeah, I think you know, if, you know, to develop a solution uh, that's going to be impactful, it has to be low cost, and it has to reduce you know global warming, and it has to be really rapidly adoptable. And so we're focusing on using feedstocks that are already grown and available. Um, so our first priority is using uh, uh, wood, um, which is, you know, abundant um, in all part, lots of parts of the world, including the U.S. Uh, there's an existing supply chain. It's grown sustainably, and, you know, you can source it. Uh, and looking at other feedstocks, um, like agricultural residues, you know, so you grow the corn, and then what's left over, what's left on the field to rot is the stover. So enabling our technology to use things like Stover, um, again, meets all the sustainability requirements and doesn't compete with food for the land. Now, a key aspect of being able to use these agricultural residues, Jim, is cleaning them up and making sure that they don't kill your process. And what Enelitech announced in December um, was an addition, additional feature of our technology, which, which we call MinFree, which enables us to remove minerals and other toxic things from the biomass that would um, uh, prevent our catalyst from having a long, viable life. And this is a key feature of being able to use some of these lower-cost t- lower feedstocks is being able to address how you deal um, with things in the feedstock that can damage your process. And, in fact, the whole aspect of, you know, feedstock, um, you know, processing, uh, you know, and handling is a key aspect of developing our technology. So it's not the part of maybe the, the sexier chemistry or catalysis scientist that you know, gets, uh, gets into scientific papers, but it's having an end-to-end, fully integrated process, including handling the biomass uh, that's going to enable us to have not only a cost-competitive process, but also an operable process that you know, a licensee can take and know the unit's going to operate uh, you know, 90% of the time you know, or, you know, as, as standard in the petrochemical industry. Now, some people say that we shouldn't be looking for things like bio-based benzene. We should be looking for things that don't use benzene because there's been some con- concerns about it from environmentalists and some pushback over um, health-related effects. Is, that, um, is there anything to that? What, uh, what's your answer when, when that's brought up to you? You know, there's, you know, tens of millions of tons a year of benzene used to make you know, lots of uh, very important products. For instance, acetaminophen, which goes into Tylenol, you know, is a, is a benzene derivative. Um, and, you know, we take that, you know, use that freely and, and safely. So, you know, this is a, a major industrial compound that's, that's used safely by industry for decades uh, and is a key part of many uh, fundamental uh, materials that we use every day safely and extensively and also economically. And so when you're making, you know, things like whether it's um, car tires or, um, you know, or, 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 or packaging or things for clothing and fuel, um, you know, the economics matter that people can use it and use it safely. So I'd say it's, it's, it's certainly known uh, and it's used broadly like a lot of other things in the, in the world. Um, and so we, we see, you know, a continuing broad interest in, and using these derivatives because they are ubiquitous and they are produced safely. Well, it's a, it's a hot technology company, Enelitech, based near New York City, part of the materials revolution in the, in the clear plastic bottle quest. And thank you, Dave, for joining us on TerraTech this morning. We're going to come back after a short break. We'll explore another route to the renewable plastic bottle, this time a Coca-Cola route that has, uh, has been attracting a lot of attention. Stay with us. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Terratech is brought to you by the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference, March 1st through 3rd in Washington, D.C. Technology Convergence, Energy Security, Advanced Manufacturing, and Clean Economy Jobs. The RFS, which is Renewable Fuel Standard, is an important tool in the mission to achieve energy independence for the United States. Energy independence is a requirement of America's to become great again. My theme is Make America Great Again. I will do all that is in my power as president to achieve that goal. combination of biology and uh, the technologies coming out of IT is really what's going to drive some amazing Oil prices, yes. The story on everyone's talking about. But if the U.S. can prove that next-gen biofuels works and that you know, other technologies work like DME and, and really great kind of biogas vehicles, then they can export that. The thing that really is exciting is this convergence. To learn more, visit biofuelsdigest.com slash ABLC. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Terra Tech. To reach Jim Lane or his guest today, call into the program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to jlane at biofuelsdigest.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Terratech. I'm your host, Jim Lane. And in this morning's program, we've been on a journey in search of a renewable, affordable, clear plastic bottle. Coca-Cola has invested in three fast-growing companies with hot technologies that can deliver a 100% renewable substitute for the petroleum-based uh, plastic that we've been using for a long time. One of them, Avantium, has been attracting interest from a wide array of investors for this and other capabilities. And joining us from the Netherlands today is CEO Tom Van Aken. Thanks for joining us, Tom, and Terratech. Tell us a little bit about Avantium, and, and uh, welcome to the show. Good morning, Jim. Well, pleased to be here. Um, and uh, yeah, Avantium is a, a renewable chemistry company based in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Um, and we have developed... Um, some really exciting uh, chemical solutions for bringing these renewable chemicals um, to commercial commercialization. And, um, you know, the, the, I think the, the best example that we have developed is uh, the material PEF, which is 100% bio-based, 100% recyclable plastic material that can be used in applications such as, uh, as bottles for soft drinks, water bottles, uh, fruit juices, but also in a wide range of applications. And we have received quite a bit of uh, media attention uh, with uh, this very exciting um, uh, innovation. Now, we've been talking in our earlier segment about a molecule called PET, which has been the one that people have used. So, so this is PEF. It's one, it's one letter different, but it sounds like uh, um, it's, it's, it's a world of difference from a technology point of view. Are there functional advantages for companies like Coca-Cola in switching to a, a new plastic uh, material? Yes, well, in the beginning when we developed this material, it was really about the fact that it was green and bio-based and had a much uh, more attractive uh, sustainability footprint in comparison to fossil-based uh, materials such as PET. Uh, when we developed this 100% bio-based material PEF and actually started to make materials, we, we came across some really... Um, yeah, very surprising but very exciting uh, differences. And uh, in particular in the application of a bottle, uh, we came across these, uh, these differences. So if you look at what a bottle does, it's actually quite simple. A bottle has to keep the liquid in, but if it's a carbonated soft drink, you also have to keep the CO2 in the bottle. And PEF is five times better than PET in keeping CO2 in the bottle. And this allows you to make 
thinner bottles to make lighter bottles and also to make smaller bottles. So you can replace cans, you can replace glass. So PEF is in that sense uh, regarded as the next generation uh, packaging material. Now we've seen for a long time if you if you order a really small Coca-Cola, it comes it does come in a can. So you're saying that those in the future could be made from plastic? Yeah, most people don't realize, I think, why we're using cans, but uh, PET doesn't have the functional properties for smaller packages. So that's why we were using cans, but cans are more expensive, uh, have a, um, you know, a, a huge amount of energy to produce. And also there are some health uh, issues related to the, um, the coating on the inside of the can. So there has been a big drive for these uh, soft drink companies to actually replace these alumina cans with a, a new plastic material, but then a plastic material that has the functionality uh, to keep the, uh, the carbonation inside and doesn't affect the taste. And PEF is that material, so that's why we're so excited to bring something to the market which is both better from an environmental perspective and sustainability perspective, but also that has the functional properties uh, to replace um, you know, a, a whole range of uh, existing packaging uh, solutions. Now, in the, in the digital economy, we're used to companies being announced in April and the product comes out in May and by June you have uh, you know, a dot release. So in, in this world of the physical economy, it, it takes a couple of years. Companies like Coca-Cola announced investments several years ago. What are the things that take the longest in bringing a, a new molecule forward? Is it finance? Is it the technology? Is it developing the applications um, at the uh, at the uh, the user interface. So how 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 does it slow down, and what kinds of things uh, um, are factors in 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 bringing a molecule forward as quickly as possible? Uh, yeah, Jim, I think you mentioned almost all of them, which uh, which play a role in this. So I think first you have to look at the technology, and it takes you know these are new chemical processes that have to be developed and have to be proven. Uh, first on lab scale, then on pilot scale, and subsequently you have to then engineer a full-scale commercial plant. Uh, so that is an, a very important element which takes time and uh, which is also takes quite a bit of capital, which is why companies such as Avantium, but also some of the other companies that you have here on the show, um, need to spend quite a bit of time on making sure that they're well financed to be able to afford to keep investing in these new technologies because you, know, you have to invest quite a bit of capital before you really see these bottles back in the supermarkets. And then finally, of course, once you have to find, a, you know, you have the chemical process in place, um, there's actually quite a bit uh, that has to be done to develop the application. And as PEF is a new material, we had to demonstrate that this was safe. So that has been done over the past years. We had to show that we can make really nice, good-looking bottles. That has been demonstrated with our partners, uh, such as the Coca-Cola company and Danone in France. And also we had to show that you could recycle the material to, you know, to make another PEF bottle out of an old PEF bottle. So these things really take time, and that is why you, we're not an Internet company, but it really takes time to bring these new exciting technologies to the market. Now, you've received investment from Coca-Cola. We mentioned Danone, but also we see that you've partnered up with the world's largest chemical company, Germany's BASF. What's, uh, what's the target there? Where, where are you going with that? Well, we, as you rightfully point out, we first partnered with uh, some of the, these major brand owners um, to develop the market and to develop the applications. But one of the, the, um, the real challenges for the company was uh, in, in partnering with these major brand owners their requests for material were, were tremendous in terms of the volumes that they required to bring this um, to commercial scale. And uh, a technology company like Avantium on its own was not able to build plants around the globe that can uh, make the, this material, PEF, at such scale where it can really be used on, uh, on the scale that is required for the likes of uh, the Coca-Cola company and, and Danone. And that is why we have been looking for a, a partner, and therefore we have been very pleased to partner with BASF, the largest chemical company, uh, and team up with them to build together uh, the first commercial-scale plant to bring this, uh, this new and, and exciting material to the market. So this was a major milestone for Avantium, but also for our partners, as it now becomes clear that this material 
really will be uh, commercialized in the, in the near future. Now, your underlying technology, it goes by, what, YXI or ICSI? What, um, what, else, can you, what else can you do with it? Where does it go besides the uh, plastic bottle and, and sustainable packaging? Yes, well, the, the, if you look at the technology itself, we, we, we start from, um, uh, you know, from plant-based sugars and use a chemical process to make a building block that is, we call FDCA, and FDCA can be a building block for making a whole range of different plastics. Um, the biggest one and the most important one being PEF. And I think everyone around the globe th- seems to think that PEF is only going to be used in, in bottle applications, and clearly with the advantage that we have in the barrier properties, uh, you know, bottles is a, is a key application, and that's why we were so pleased to get you know, the, the major brand owners on board. But in the meantime, we have also been working on uh, film applications for, for example, coffee uh, pouches or for other types of packaging material, for medical applications and for electronic applications. But ultimately, uh, another major element for this new material could be in the fiber segment, where you can use PEF fiber for making textiles, so clothing, uh, you know, sports, athletic clothing, but also uh, you know, carpets or, or other types of fiber applications in the automotive sector. So, yeah, it, all in all, you can see that there's a tremendous demand for such a new material. And the biggest question for us was, okay, how are we going to be able to produce it on such scale where we can develop all these new applications um, and, and create these new markets? Now, we've, we've seen a revolution in things like single-serve coffee. People were concerned about making 10 cups of coffee in a big pot and, and then only you know, drinking uh, one or two of those cups. So they have these uh, single-serve things, and they have a plastic uh, casing usually. Is this something that, um, uh, as, the, as those companies have been getting feedback that they're you know, contributing to landfill waste, is this, is this an area where, with a renewable uh, alternative, that you can, you can help them as well? Yeah, well, I think if you look at the direction of these major brand owners, Jim, uh, there, there are two things which are really important. One of them is they want to become independent from fossil uh, feedstocks, so that's why they look at plant-based and bio-based solutions. The second one is on uh, you know, the end of life of the product is that they want to make sure that they can recycle the product. Um, so the Unilevers and Procters of, and Gambles of the world have been very clear that solutions for the future should be bio-based, but also should be circular so that they can be used over and over again. And um, PEF, you know, the, the main application we're looking for, applications where you have either carbonation, so carbonated soft drinks or anything that has CO2, or uh, that is sensitive for oxygen. So coffee, in that sense, is a, is a very good example of, you know, coffee beans, actually, when you expose them to air, you, they lose their taste. So that's why... Uh, coffee applications, but you can you, you can name many ketchup sauce. Uh, you can mention beer. Um, all of these applications are very sensitive to oxygen, and that is why PEF is actually a a really big way a step forward to come to uh, to better packaging solutions for uh, for these applications. Now, recently, you announced that uh, the acquisition of the assets of another early stage company, Liquid Light, that at one time had a partnership with Coca Cola as well. Uh, what did that bring to Avantium? Well, that is um, uh, a, a very interesting uh, early stage technology that we have acquired from Liquid Light. Um, and um, the unique thing of Liquid Light is that they don't start from, from biomass or from sugars, but they actually uh, start from CO2. So if you look at uh, you know, big steel plants or big uh, electricity plants, they generate a lot of CO2 and actually dump that in the atmosphere, and that is really causing all of these uh, you know, climate concerns. So if we can use uh, CO2 coming out of the pipe of one of these big electricity or, or steel plants, we can really um, use a very low-cost feedstock, but at the same time really make sure that this uh, you know, avoids to be dumped in the atmosphere. And therefore, it also you know, is an excellent feedstock. Now, CO2 is a, a very tricky feedstock to work with because it's, uh, it's a very you know, different, difficult starting material. So uh, we have acquired Liquid Light because they have developed new um, technology, electrochemistry technology, that allow us to start from CO2 and from CO2 making chemicals. 
And um, if we use their technology, we can make, uh, for example, ethylene glycol, which is another chemical building block that you can use to make polyesters such as PEF. So ultimately, what this uh, acquisition does, it allows us to also extend into the future to use CO2 as a feedstock and not only be restricted to, uh, to using biomass as feedstock. So it makes, uh, it makes tremendous sense to us. Uh, and I think, therefore, we are very well positioned for, for the future. Now, you've, you've talked a little bit about feedstock diversification there. You've been using food-based sugars to date, and, um, but you're partnered with, um, uh, with Mitsui, the Japanese conglomerate, and recently they announced a partnership with uh, Tori to make cellulosic sugars. Is that something that uh, you might be able to use uh, down the line, or are you always going to use sugars made from conventional uh, sources such as corn? Well, initially, we want to use, uh, you know, what you call conventional sugars from corn or from wheat production. You know, it's going to be corn-based in the U.S. It's going to be wheat-based if you talk about Europe. Uh, but clearly, for the future, we want to make sure that we can also use these non-food biomass. And, uh, you know, in that sense, we are still open. We are looking at external technologies. But Avantium itself is also developing a new technology to use woody biomass, as a feedstock for making these uh, cellulosic sugars. And, uh, you know, uh, clearly this is a very hot topic because there are many companies out there developing these new technologies. Um, uh, yeah, I just want to make sure that we just want to make sure that there are technologies out there that are scalable and that are cost competitive so we can use these non-food um, uh, yeah, biomass sources to make chemicals, to make plastics, uh, and to avoid that we are going to interfere with, uh, with food supply chains. Now, when you, when you uh, partner with a company like Liquid Light and you have a technology that, that is going to potentially use uh, CO2, that's going to create a lot of excitement because, of course, that's, that's a, a, a huge problem, not just a, an opportunity. And uh, yet, uh, where are you, you going to get the hydrogen for that? Because uh, I assume you're, you're making a hydrocarbon in there somewhere. So where's the hydrogen coming from? Yeah, that is something that, uh, that, is, that we're still open for, uh, and we're evaluating different, uh, different options there. Um, uh, Jim, I, I know that uh, the, the former management team of Liquid Light uh, made statements about how they, could, how they thought about um, you know, the sourcing of hydrogen. Uh, for us, that's still very much open, so that is not something that uh, we think is going to be a constraint. Um, but we're clearly evaluating with, uh, with partners on what will be the best way, the best way to, uh, to, uh, to source this for the future. Now, in terms of your uh, partnerships, um, like just, just a, a quick question on BSF. Do they have an exclusive license? Do people have exclusive to your technology? Or uh, could there be other partners coming by to, to build plants around the world for, uh, with you and for you? Well, that's a very important question. Um, so with uh, BSF, we have an, a joint venture, and the joint venture is going to sell, is going to, first of all, it's going to build the first plant in Antwerp in Belgium. But subsequently, the joint venture, Sinvina, as we call it, is going to sell technology, the technology through licensing, uh, to companies including BSF, but not limited to BSF. Um, and that is because if you look at the, you know, the, uh, the size of these markets, they are tremendous in terms of uh, the size and we need to have multiple companies producing PEF for the future if we want to make uh, sufficient volumes for the likes of uh, you know these major brand owners such as the Coca-Cola company as they require a lot of material and they also want to make sure that it's going to be a, a competitive industry where they have multiple uh, producers of this uh, of this material so for this reason the business model that we have opted for is, uh, is a, um, a licensing uh, model. When we come back after this short break, industry expert David Dodds will join us to talk about the world of bio-based materials, the potential for even more new products, new packaging. Thank you, Tom, for joining us on TerraTech this morning and exploring the world of Avantium. All right. Thanks, Jim. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. TerraTech is brought to you by the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference, March 1st through 3rd in Washington, D.C. Technology Convergence, Energy Security, Advanced Manufacturing, and Clean Economy Jobs. The RFS, which is Renewable Fuel Standard, is an important tool 
in the mission to achieve energy independence for the United States. Energy independence is a requirement of America's to become great again. My theme is make America great again. I will do all that is in my power as president to achieve that goal. Combination of biology and uh, the technologies coming out of IT is really what's going to drive some amazing oil prices. Yes, the story on everyone's talking about. But if the U.S. can prove that next-gen biofuels works and that you know other technologies work like DME and and really great kind of biogas vehicles, then they can export that. The thing that really is exciting is this convergence. To learn more, visit biofuelsdigest.com/ablc. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Terra Tech. To reach Jim Lane or his guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to jlane at biofuelsdigest.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to TerraTech. I'm your host, Jim Lane. And in this morning's program, we've been on a journey in search of a renewable, affordable, clear plastic bottle and other applications from those technologies. And joining us for this segment is David Dodds, the renowned industry consultant who's been a mainstay on stage at the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference in, in our own online webinar series like March Madness and Strategic Intent. And his company is Dodds & Associates, also at techdiligence.net. Good morning, David. Good morning, Jim. Uh, pleasure to be on your show and uh, a great pleasure to be here with uh, David and with Tom. So, so, uh, so Dave came on uh, first and he was talking about uh, the world of the clear plastic bottle, which was our uh, is our main topic this morning, but um, also there's other places you can go with BTX. Um, there are uh, we we got a little bit of a list. Were there were there some that uh, that Dave didn't get to mention that are worth mentioning in terms of other applications of that kind of technology? Sure, Dave was um, Dave was you asked a question about benzene, um, which uh, actually does not go into the. Um, PET stream. Uh, benzene is uh, starting material for nylon, which obviously has a huge market. So I just add that to Dave's comments. Um, and of course, yes, benzene itself is a toxic molecule. But if you're making something from it, you are deliberately destroying and altering that molecule. And you want to be as efficient and as complete about doing that as possible. So going down the nylon stream from uh, green benzene is um, a great, uh, great way to get into renewable uh, chemicals and materials. Now, when we were looking at the renewable plastic bottle with um, Anelitech's route, uh, we mentioned um, we mentioned this uh, the drop-in solution that Anelitech uses, where they're making their that missing ingredient, uh, paraxylene, and Avantium is bringing a new molecule forward. What's better, drop-ins or novel? What What are the factors that that people need to think about when they're uh, deciding between a, a drop-in solution that's renewable or a uh, a novel molecule. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I'm a scientist, Jim, not a, not a business fellow, but I think at the end of the day, it's obvious is what is providing the greatest value to the final user, the the ultimate consumer, that, and that means you and me when we're shopping in the store. And the greatest value is not just what do I get for the least amount of money. Uh, we need to have full life cycle accounting. So what uh, provides the best benefit to the environment? What makes use of existing um, factories and workforces? So we don't uh, go you know, tearing down one, one set of factories and building another set. Um, that's all part of the, the greatest value, uh, the environmental value, the, the human uh, value, and of course the value to the, uh, to the final consumer. So uh, it depends, Jim. 
Right now, the drop-in route is great because um, BTX is a, an existing stream in the chemical refinery industry, uh, chemical processing industry, and being able to simply plug into that um, in a, in a let's call it an, an invisible manner means you can take make use of everything, the entire supply chain, uh, starting from that material, the BTX stream, all the way through not just the chemical processing uh, industry, but also through where it goes into consumer products and all the sales and marketing and distribution and, and retail outlet industry. Um, so that would be a, a plus for a drop-in, of course. That's what you'd like to make use of is all that stuff that already exists. But if you have a product, um, in this case, a, a polymer for a beverage container that is better and solves problems um, that that original product um, still faces, then, yeah, you, we, we, we want a better product at the end of the day, but the cost has to be um, uh, connected to that uh, benefit. David, one thing that puzzles me as a, as a journalist that will probably not puzzle you as a scientist, so you can explain this to me, but let me just take you through this one. So we start with biomass in the case of an Elotech, and that's, that's going to have like 40% oxygen by weight, correct? I mean, it's got a lot of, there's a lot of oxygen in that biomass, and so they're going to make paraxylene from that. So aren't they going to take out all that oxygen and end up with a, with a hydrocarbon? Am I, am I correct so far? That's that's what's going on, and that is why the uh, the yield, tons of product, tons of starting material in versus tons of product out, is generally lower uh, for biomass based processes than it is for oil processes. That's exactly right, Jim. Now, so when we go over to the clear plastic bottle PET or the precursor which is a practically unpronounceable molecule called, I think, terephthalic acid, that has oxygen in it, correct? Yes, it does. Um, and, uh, so you're taking it out, and then you're, you're, you're are you taking it out, in. and then you're yeah. putting it back yeah. in? So wouldn't it yes, be better are, just to make it directly? Um, it would be, um, at least if you're just counting atoms. And I did uh, some work some years ago with a company that was that was going down that route um, with a actually with a fermentation based process um, and it, it's public knowledge that that material that, that technology was uh, acquired by Amaris some years ago um, today it's probably not nearly as cost effective as going um, either the Enelotech or the Avantium route um, because of uh, just because of the way the process is, is configured and the costs of uh, performing certain processes today, but you're you're right, Jim. You're you're reducing a molecule. That means you are removing oxygen atoms, and then you are oxidizing a molecule at a later stage in the process by adding oxygen back to it. The process that is used for taking paraxylene, that is the the X in the BTX stream, to terephthalic acid, and it's usually called purified terephthalic acid or PTA. Uh, might be easier to, to say than terephthalic acid, is actually a, an oxidizing process that is now about 70 years old. It's called the mid-century process because it was developed in the middle of the 20th century. It is extremely efficient, um, very high yields, and easily run. And that is what is used to oxidize, that is put in the oxygen atoms, required to take paraxylene, PX, to terephthalic acid, PTA. Now, in, in the case of uh, Avantium and also Anelitech, they're both talking about feedstock diversification. Uh, Anelitech is starting with um, a woody biomass but may take on other uh, items in the future. Avantium starting with a plant-based sugar, but, but they may move to woody biomass. So is that, um, uh, how difficult is it to move to these uh, more uh, tricky or, or less used uh, residues and woods? Is that, is that a... Uh, a giant piece of work or just a matter of, of more of cost? Is it, is it a technical challenge or is it a, just a, a cost and process development challenge? Oh, uh, all of the above, but let's, let's fix on the technical cost. Obviously, the, 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 the pricing is going to be is an obvious issue, but let's, let's look at the technical cost. And I would like to uh, answer your question with an analogy, Jim. 
we think of oil today, when we hear the cost of oil and, and, and the price of oil quoted, we think of it as simply one thing that's distributed and is the same all over the world. It's, it's not. Different oil fields make different types of crude oil with different impurities in them. And those different types of crude oil actually have to go to different refineries that use different processes to clean up the oil, to treat the oil before it goes into their catalysts or they use different catalysts because those impurities that are in the oil, the crude oil, will destroy some catalysts. And, and, and if you put the wrong crude uh, starting material into an oil refinery, you could, you could seriously damage it. The same thing is going to, <clears throat> excuse me, is going to happen with the different bio-based feedstocks. The impurities, and, and uh, David at um, Anellotech mentioned this, their new... Um, a process that takes out the mineral impurities, um, and that's a big deal. That is, those mineral impurities are going to change, even if you just go from corn stover uh, agricultural waste to sugarcane bagasse, a, a an agricultural waste that to um, to most people would look and feel and, and smell absolutely the same, but they're not. They're going to have different impurities in them, and those impurities are very, very important to a process. Um, Avantium, if they move from uh, starting with the um, <clears throat> glucose fructose uh, stream, uh, which uh, I understand today comes from um, uh, you know, starch um, and, and sucrose, if that comes from cellulose, from trees, uh, or from sugarcane, or from gas or corn stover, it is also going to have a different impurity profile, and that'll change the process. And some of those changes could be expensive. Um, it's a long answer to your question, Jim, and, and I hope I've been clear. That is pretty clear. What, um, what's the, there's the, the possibility, I think, out there of some maybe some super materials that, that could be made. And we, we've talked in the segment with Avantium about the fact that PEF has some increased barrier uh, properties. But are there – we've also heard things like companies like Bolt Threads coming forward with – um, with with a fermentation based approach to making a, a spider silk uh, type technology, making a fiber u- using a lot of the same approaches that um, that uh, that the spiders use, is that is that uh, is that a technology wave that's coming forward? Are we going to see uh, new properties, uh, not just uh, uh, sustainable feedstocks? Is it about is it about uh, what's it about? Oh, gosh. Uh, let me use your phrase, uh, Jim, and say back to the future. Um, if you look at nature, uh, how many different materials with how many different properties are out there? I mean, they're, it's uncountable. So um, if you go to um, museums that uh, have preserved uh, laboratories from the 19th or even earlier centuries, and you look at what is in those laboratories, um, for example, Thomas Edison's uh, labs in um, in New Jersey, and there is a pile of stuff. There's <clears throat> there's elephant hide, there's tortoise shell, there's there's different plant materials, there's different leathers from different <clears throat> different animal hides, and so on and so on. Um, they had those materials there because they had different properties, and there was no other source for them. So having materials with properties that you need for your product is uh, hugely important. You can't make your product if you don't have that. The materials that appear in those early labs were taken directly from nature in the, in the, in the form in which they were presented as, a, as an animal skin, as a plant material, as a bark, um, even as a mineral product, um, although that's, that's a different, uh, different than what we're considering. If we can take those materials, those molecules, those polymers like the spider silk and make them from our biomass, our our sustainable and renewably produced biomass, then we are going to be able to make products that have really wonderful material properties in them. Um, So I I am, we've gone down the path of taking uh, renewable feedstock to fuels, um, but Really, the value to us is in the products, uh, the chemicals and materials. I'm an organic chemist, uh, Jim, by training, and you, you've heard me say that uh, making a molecule just to set fire to it is not as satisfying as, as making a molecule that goes into a, an object that I hold in my hand and that, and that I use continually every day. 
There was a, a, a story that Ford was working to use these plant bottle derived fibers um, to weave them into automotive grade uh, fabrics. So that, that doesn't sound like it's a big surprise to you. They've been using, looking to use this in the interior of the Ford Fusion Energy electric vehicle. So is that, is that something we should be, expect to see more of in the future? Oh, definitely, definitely, and and of course, cost considerations. And now, energy is costed differently than it was sixty, seventy years ago. When there's that famous picture of, I think it's uh, Henry Ford uh, Jr. taking it's either an axe or a sledgehammer to the to the trunk um, of a uh, of a Ford vehicle and slamming it. And they had made. Um, that particular piece of the of the body of the car from plant-based materials, and that's uh, I don't remember the date on the photograph, but I think it's from the 1940s. So yeah, yeah, that was the hemp car. Where we're gonna, that that one yeah, was, that was, was made from well, entirely from from hemp, and uh, I think reefer madness killed off the demand for that particular. Uh, vehicle, but uh, marijuana is being re-legalized in places like California. They're going to start growing it in a couple of years. Who knows? Maybe there'll be a, a new market for for hemp. Well, well uh, industrial. David, that's that's all we have. Yeah. That's all we have oh, time great. for. Thanks. I'm afraid. Um, so I wanted to first of all thank you as a longtime digesterati helping us to navigate this journey through the materials revolution. I hope you come back again shortly. Well, thank you, Tim, and I look forward to seeing you and David Sadolsky and Tom Van Eichen in uh, Washington in a few weeks. Well, that's all we have time for this morning on TerraTech. We've been exploring the journey towards a sustainable plastic alternative to petroleum with Anelitech, Avantium, and also with our longtime digesterati, David Dawes. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back again next week with more on TerraTech. Thank you for tuning in to TerraTech. Please join your host, Jim Lane, again next Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And this week, take notice of the products in your life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management the voice america live events page is here now to showcase your corporate individual or organization's live event visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more whether it's a multi-day conference special speaker or single day event we've got everything to make your event a success we can do a few hours or a few days for more information about taking your event to the next level Call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. 
You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. 